Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. squad and welcome to ranks fc it's your favorite football podcast back for a second episode here on the main feed this week we are now into preview season and i wanted to take a look at two of my favorite leagues across the european continent two that maybe don't get as much love as some of the bigger names portugal and the netherlands we're going to take a look today at the eredivisie and the Primeira Liga. And I've got two really special guests in order to preview these two leagues with me. First up, we'll be talking Portugal with old friend of the pod, Zach Lowy, host of Zach Lowy's European Football Show, co-creator of Breaking the Lines and one of the most interesting football minds out there. And then in the second part, I'm going to be joined by Michael Statham of the mighty Football Orange. He is a podcaster, writer, everything you can possibly name around Dutch football and a guest that I've been waiting to have on this podcast for quite some time. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back to Rags FC, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined now by an old friend of this show, making his return, Mr. Zach Lowy, to talk about the Primeira in Portugal. Zach, it's wonderful to have you back on the show, my friend. It's an absolute pleasure to be back on after, what, two, three years. Uh, been far too long, but yeah, super excited to be discussing my favorite league, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a, a blast of a time discussing the Primeira Liga. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, for those of you unacquainted with Zach, for those of you new to the show, um, Zach is the co-creator of BTL, one of the great, the great places to follow football on the internet, and also the host of Zach Lowe's European Football Show, which I'm delighted to say that was on earlier this summer. It was a, We had a real good time at the end of last season. But Zach, let's turn our attentions to Portugal. And you know that this is a league close to my heart as well. I think we'll probably just touch on you know the, the big guns really i know that and i've said this to everyone on the podcast that the storylines up and down the league but i think for the purposes of this keeping things tight keeping it short we're gonna just focus on the big three and braga who obviously uh came third last season and and really did shock the the traditional big three of, of the portugal's standard hierarchy if you will so let's start with the champions Benfica I think it was an incredible season tailed off a little bit towards the end in terms of their Champions League campaign and a little bit of trepidation I suppose around the end of the season but got over the line Roger Schmidt in charge and, and looks like he's moving comfortably and I've been really impressed with their work in the market as well yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, last summer, of course, they did a very good job of selling Darwin Nunez early on for a massive fee and getting their transfer business done early, getting in the uh, key players such as Frederick Arsnes, David Neres, as well as hanging on to a lot of top players. So yeah, they've had a very good uh, summer window, I would say. You know, they they have uh, they they have signed Angel Di Maria on a free transfer a player who, you know, despite his age, is still such a phenomenal wing. And I, I think can definitely offer something that was really lacking uh, to Benfica's attack, uh, apart from Neres. And that is, you know, a player who can really change games by himself, who has, who, who is such a phenomenal dribbler, so good at changing pace, changing direction. Uh, yeah, somebody who is going to provide a lot of quality in attack, whether that's starting or playing just 30 minutes. Uh, I think he's going to be a massive boon for Benfica and a, a pretty sizable upgrade over some of their other options last season, such as Julian Draxler. Um, yeah, looking at their other uh, signings, obviously they've spent a club record 30 million euros to sign Feyenoord captain Orkan Koku. Uh, and I, I think that this is a really shrewd move. You know, I've seen Koku plenty of times in uh, European competition, and he's somebody who I think, you know, similar to Enzo Fernandez, really skilled at uh, carrying the ball, progressing it forward, and overall is you know a perhaps a uh, a creative eight. You know, a, a player who's definitely going to provide a lot of attributes on the ball in terms of breaking down deep blocks. Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested to see how Roger Schmidt uh, shapes up his midfield and, quite frankly, his entire team. Because right now, you know, you, you look at Benfica's team, obviously you've got Odysseus Vlacodimos. I personally think they need an upgrade in goal. There's been talks about players such as Andre Lunen, Anatoly Trubin, Bento from Atletico Paranench. Uh, I, I personally think that, you know, they could still win it, with Vlacodimos in goal as they won last season. But I just think he's fairly limited in comparison to someone like Diogo Costa. Um, so yeah, I would definitely be looking to upgrade that. Look at the other positions. Alexander Ba has that covered at right back. I think they probably need a backup yeah. to him after Gilberto's departure. Left back, uh, it's, it's definitely a question mark given the fact that Alex Grimaldo was quite comfortably the best uh, fullback in Portugal last season. 11 assists 
and uh, departing on a free transfer. So now you've got Mihailo Ristic, who joined last summer on a free from Montpellier. Didn't really play much, but uh, has been impressing in preseason, and I expect him to uh, to to be starting the the season as their starting left back ahead of their new arrival from Slavia Prague, Juracic. Um, central defense, don't expect much to change there. I think, you know, Nicolas Otamendi, Antonio Silva, it's a good partnership. Yeah. But the the double pivot, I'm definitely intrigued to see how Schmidt uh, sets things up because, you know, I, I think that there's a good chance we could see Koku playing alongside Florentino Luis. And Florentino, he's somebody who had a very good start of the season, was very important in Benfica. Uh, you know, kind of enjoying a fantastic first half of, of the campaign. Um, but he ended up dropping out of the lineup in the final months. And I think part of that was certainly due to Enzo's departure. You know, they formed a fantastic midfield midfield pairing. Um, and, you know, without it, I think without Enzo, I think that there was more pressure on Florentino to show his ability on the ball. And as such, uh, Roger Schmidt ended up going with, you know, the likes of Chiquinho, João Neves uh, in the double pivot. But with Orkin Koku there, I think that Florentino can focus more on, you know, breaking up the play, his defensive duty. So I would expect that to probably be the double pivot. Yeah. And then uh, further forward, yeah, it's it's really hard to pick. Obviously, right now, it looks like Gonzalo Ramos is heading to Paris Saint-Germain. Um, so would expect Benfica to bring in a center forward to compete with Kasper Tengstedt, um, as well as Petar Musa. The two main options who have been linked are Feyenoord Santiago Jimenez could become the latest Feyenoord player after Arsenis and Koku to make the move to the Luge, um, as well as River Plates, River Plates, Lucas Beltran. So would expect one of those two players to make the move and replace Ramos. Um, and then in in you know right behind him, it's really tough to pick. You've got David Neres, you've got Angel Di Maria, Rafa Silva. Looks like he's going to stay for the final year of his deal. Maybe leave on a free next summer. Um, you know you've got some very good players, including you know players such as Thiago Gouveia, very impressive on loan at Estoril Praia. Remains to be seen if he stays or not. Um, Andres Andreas Stelderup. Uh, who arrived in the January window, didn't really play much. You've got a lot of really interesting options. So I do think that even if Benfica end up selling Ramos, which looks increasingly likely, I think there's a good chance that, uh, yeah, they are going to win the league title at, um, you know, I think that there's a good chance that they wrap up the league title before the final match day, which, of course, they had to wait until the the, the final second to wrap it up uh, last season. But yeah, when I look at Benfica's business, it's hard to see anybody but them winning the title. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I, I think it's been another good window. And and as you say, that Kirk Hughes signing to, to replace Enzo feels like such a smart maneuver at around that 30 million mark. Just feels like they've gone and identified a player done it really early it was one of the earliest deals that came out this transfer window you've gone well that's just really sensible isn't it and and you know for a fact that kirk Chu might be the kind of player that they sell on at 22 years old now he's already been final captain as you say and he's had that experience in european competition he's now going to be the heart of this benfica midfield you can see them selling him on in three years time for 60 million uh, in his prime. And, and that's a wonderful way of doing business. I'm really interested by Eurosec because there was a, I, I looked at him when Brighton were linked. And, and usually when Brighton are linked with a player, 
you tend to think there must be something there that we're keeping an eye on that, that's worth keeping an eye on because their scouting department is so good. So for him to come in and, and you know, with the, the space to fill in front of him, uh, of Alejandro Grimaldo, who's obviously gone to buy Leverkusen, I think that's a really smart business. I, I think that, uh, yeah, they, they've done some fantastic business for sure. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Supertasa opponents there, Porto. I think it's time to, to budge over to them because <laughs> I really like their business as well. Um, now, yeah. obviously, quite a lot of what's going on at Porto revolves around people staying. So the questions over Diego Costa seem to have been answered and the main suitors in that Diego Costa race have all turned to other goalkeepers, which I think is probably a good thing from a Porto perspective. But the other thing was the, you know, whether the likes of Mediterrami would stay, whether the likes of Evan Nielsen would stay. And those questions seem to have not gone away, especially in the case of Teremi, but they've been quietened for now. And Porto have kind of preempted them as well, because not only have they signed Nico Gonzalez to replace Mateus Uribe in the midfield, and I love that deal. I really, really like Nico Gonzalez. But also, I know that you are a massive fan of Fran Navarro. And, you know, when we spoke about Peter Musa moving to uh, moving to Benfica, his season at Boavista, he felt like the best, the best striker in the league outside of the the big three and i think that we've seen this with fran navarro as well last year at hill vicente yeah 100 i think that fran navarro to porto um it was in many ways portuguese football's worst kept secret there was you know talk that porto had signed that deal uh in in january and allowed him to stay at jill for the rest of the season and i think a few weeks after that pinto da costa the porto chairman was asked about navarro and he said i don't know him but uh, and, and then I think Navarro ended up scoring and leading Gil Vicente to a 2-1 win uh, at the Dragao. So, yeah, look, Fran Navarro in 2021-22 was just lights out, uh, you know, being just so important, spearheading Gil Vicente to their first ever European qualification. And we saw so many, you know, key assets of that Gil side leave uh, in the following in the following summer, such as Pedrinho, Samuel Lino, such as their manager, Ricardo Suarez. But for some reason, Navarro ended up staying. I'm really not sure why any other club uh, didn't take a punt on him. But yeah, ended up staying and I believe scoring more goals than than his first year. I, I believe he ended up scoring like 17 goals and 16 the previous year. So, you know, I, I, th I think that this was just, frankly, a, a one-man team. With no disrespect to some of the other players on Jill, such as Andro Ventura, uh, such as Tomas Araujo. But, you know, definitely a one-man attack. I mean, he is a self-sufficient striker who can make his own chances, who can score. And you saw, um, yeah, you saw him score, I think, over half of their goals, yeah. just pretty much dragging them to safety. And I think... You know, the, the final um, few months in, in for, for Jill, I think Jill went on like a six-game uh, scoreless streak. And it, that basically just explains that when, when Navarro is being heavily marked, uh, you know, Jill, frankly, didn't have any other option uh, in attack. But yeah, he was just so massive for them and, and pretty much dragged them to safety. So I really like this move. He's, he's a technically gifted player. Uh, really quick, really good in the air at, at holding up the ball. And I'm a bit intrigued to see where he fits in. You know, I think that he definitely has what it takes to be a starter. But Porto are actually kind of 
um, a bit congested in attack, I would say. Yeah. I'm a bit surprised that no striker has left so far because, you know, you've got Meditaremi, uh, the, obviously the reigning top scorer in Portugal, has a year left on his deal and uh, just a fantastic striker. But uh, 30 years old, I believe, and uh, maybe 31, actually. And yeah, I, I, I'll be honest, I was expecting him to leave this summer but uh has stayed put so far for now, for um, now. and looking at the other options evan nielsen i i did not expect him to leave because this was kind of a sophomore slump if you will struggled with injuries struggled with confidence didn't really find the back of the net at anywhere near as much as he did in their title winning campaign uh you've got Danny namaso loader has done very well with limited minutes and i expect him to have an important role You've got Tony Martinez, a very good uh, super super sub striker for Porto. So yeah, certainly congested in attack. And um, I don't know, I, I can see either Taremi or Martinez leaving uh, in the next few weeks, but there hasn't been a ton of chatter for either of them, which, yeah, I think, you know, going, going to the central theme of Porto's window, just, I guess, a bit, uh, a bit of skepticism and disbelief that they haven't really sold anybody because, you know, if, if we uh, go back, if we were rewind back two years ago, Porto uh, did not sell a single player in the summer of 2021, apart from uh, Danilo Pereira to PSG, which was already arranged. You know, he was already playing for Paris Saint-Germain at that time. And the lack of sales meant that after Porto, uh, after Porto were relegated to the Europa League, uh, they were forced to sell Luis Diaz for well under his market value uh, in the January window. So I do think that there's that they are running the risk of that if they don't sell a key player. Um, that's just kind of the Portuguese football ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and there have been just so many reports that, yeah, Porto are in need of cash. So I still wouldn't be too shocked to see a big name depart the Dragao before uh, the window closes. But yeah, as you mentioned, some very intriguing business. Nico Gonzalez uh, coming off a loan spell at Valencia and heading to Portugal. Uh, Alan Varela looks like after so many weeks of, of a transfer saga, it looks like he will finally join from Boca. But uh, yeah, remains to be seen what happens there. I do think that they are still in need of far more recruits um, than, than Benfica. You know, I think that they need uh at least uh one fullback i think that uh you know recruits potentially in central defense might be necessary but you know porto are going to be a tough team to beat they always are and i think that's that definitely says a lot about sergio conceição but i'll what i will say is this you know porto they have kind of struggled in comparison to benfica when it comes to getting top dollar for uh for their top players you know i think that apart from fabio vieira and Eder militao they haven't sold any players in recent years for their full release clause value so i have to give them credit for holding out for top dollar for you know diogo costa uh as well as otavio you know demanding teams to to pay the 40 million now i believe 60 million uh release clause or or leave 
Um, so keeping hold of those two players, uh, Otavio and Costa, two players who really carried them at so many times last season, that's going to be absolutely massive for them to push Benfica for the title. Yeah, it, it feels that way, doesn't it? And, and look, I, I think that Nico is a really interesting player. He was one of the few bright sparks of, of Valencia last year, as far as I was concerned. And I, I was surprised that he didn't get an opportunity to step back in and actually be given a shot at the six shirt in Barcelona. Now, Oriol Rame was gone there, so obviously that's kind of a door closed. But I, I was a little bit surprised that they, they've let him go. And for sort of this eight and a half million euro fee that's been touted, I think that's a really smart bit of business. And I think that he brings a lot of steel, but also of a little bit of that silk as well to, to the midfield. So I mean, I'm excited to see him play. I think he wants to be in a two there in the middle, but that doesn't seem like it's going to be a problem under Conte Sal. So yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by that one. And I guess to see how things go, I think they look light still a little bit in the middle of the park. I can't see Romario Baro being the answer considering he was dropped from that Casapia team towards the end of the season. You know, it just feels like he's one that's just not going to make it to the and so many of us wanted to, and so many of us who were old football manager heads were convinced that he was going to be the next big thing. Um, but it just hasn't quite worked, perhaps, to, to the level we want. Let's move on, though, and let's go yeah. Let's go to Sporting. Uh, they finished fourth last season. It would have been an incredibly disappointing year. Uh, and so far, just two real arrivals in, in Jokerez and Trincao. They've lost a few key elements here. Manuel Ugarte obviously was right at the start of the window, um, in terms of one that left. But it just feels like a lot of players have, have come out in terms of where they're at, and they haven't filled those gaps particularly at this point. Yeah, look, Sporting, as far as their window goes, it's been it's been decent. You know, I think that Gilkerez is a really interesting pickup. I watched him a bit at Coventry last season. And yeah, I think similar to Novato, a self-sufficient striker who yeah. can who can score goals, but can also carve out chances for himself and for his teammates. Uh, so I, I do think that he has what it takes to become an upgrade. They should hope so, obviously, spending a club record fee on him. But I think that neglecting the center forward position was the biggest reason why Sporting dropped out of the top three. Yeah. Uh, you know, having Paulinho, Yusuf Chermiti there, I think that it was just was not good enough. So, yeah, I, I think that expectations are high for Gilquerez, and I expect him to probably win that starting nine position. Um, with regards to their other business, Antonio Don in goal, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there because I felt that as good as he was in his first two years at Sporting, frankly, um, he just had a lot of a lot of uh, errors in goal and showing a lot of signs of his age. So we'll be interesting to see if he can turn that around. Um, looking at the options in the back three, I think that there's a lot of reason for excitement there. Jeremiah Saint Juice, you know, despite struggling with injuries, very talented, very quick. Player. Uh, and physically imposing defender Usmane Diomande, uh, you know, arrived in the January window, did quite well, I would say, um, and showed signs of becoming a, a really a top class defender. So I think that he definitely has what it takes to uh, consolidate a starting spot and and lock it down there. Uh, Sebastian Coatz, yeah, I think similar to Adan, showed his age a bit at times, needs a, kind of approaching a make or break year. Um, as the captain of the team. And then Gonzalo Inacio, I think that is a pretty big question mark, I have to say, because he does have a 45 million release clause. 
And I, yeah, I'm just surprised that no team has uh, picked up that option. I think had kind of a shaky start, but really grew into uh, grew into himself in the second half of the season. Was one of Sporting's better players in terms of transporting the ball, uh, you know, dribbling it forward and playing these progressive line splitting passes. Really interesting center back. So uh, I think that they're fine there in the back three. With regards to midfield, though, yeah, I definitely think that they are a bit light. Um, obviously, they they've sold Manuel Ugarte. Looks at to sign. Looks at to sell Sotiris, um, Alexandropoulos as well. But so yeah, Ugarte is going to be a huge blow for them, and they haven't brought in anybody so far to replace him. Um, I believe, but I think that they are going for Morten Hjolmand, uh from from Lecce. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I know they have competition there, though. So you know, if Hjolmand arrives, then you would have him and Hidemasa Morita in uh, the double pivot. So you know that that would be certainly an interesting uh, midfield, but. I think that they definitely need to bring in somebody to replace Ugarte as well as uh, somebody to replace Pedro Porro because, quite frankly, uh, Ricardo Escayo is not the answer there. They need a younger, attack-minded option. Um, as far as left wing back goes, yeah, they've got Mateus Reis and Nuno Santos there. I think Santos is probably the one more suited to that attacking profile. And then, yeah, in, in the front three... Um, I think that Gioqueres, uh ends up locking down that that starting spot. I think he's he's a certain upgrade over their other options. But uh, you've got potentially put Pedro Gonçalves. Well, certainly Pedro Gonçalves is going to start. I mean, he is uh, obviously their top scorer, and I think it's just between Marcus Edwards and Francisco Trencao. But yeah, I, I have to say, Sporting. You know, I like the Gioqueres move. I like the potential Hjalman move, but I don't think it's enough to give them a serious challenge for the title. And that's pretty crazy to say when you think of the fact that, you know, just two years ago, they were winning the title. Just uh, one year ago, they were pushing Porto uh, up until the final, the, up until the penultimate day for the title. But unfortunately, I just think Benfica have strengthened too much as well as, you know, Porto, they are a consistent threat. So I think... One of the biggest make or break things, one of the biggest questions is how is Gilkers going to fare? You know, if he can, if he can prove to be that 20 goal striker, then yeah, I, I think that Sporting will take a, a massive step forward. Um, but, you know, a lot of question marks as well as can he perform those uh, those things that were, were being asked of Paulinho by Ruben Amorim? Because, you know, the reason why... Uh, Amorim uh, went with persisted with Paulinho for so long. Obviously, he had worked with him at Braga. Obviously, they had brought brought him in for a club record fee. But despite his lack of goals, he does have you know a very good hold up play, yeah. passing, um, and ability on the ball. So you know, can Gilkeres, uh fill those those um, demands? I think he can. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he fares from making that jump from the Championship to the Primera. But yeah. As far as their league position, I think it's going to be third or fourth. I'm not too sure yet, though. Yeah, I agree. I think that this midfield is still looks very, very weak. I really like Morita. I think he's a wonderful footballer. And Dario Sugo seems to have stepped up a little bit, been promoted 
you know, full time into the senior squad now. That's nice. But I still think that they need two, maybe three bodies in that midfield. The rest of the squad looks okay. Um, I'm with you at right back or right wing back, but the rest of the squad, I'm, you know, I could, I could live with. It's, it's just that that midfield looks really, really lightweight uh, as far as I'm concerned yeah. right now. And, you know, you spoke about the fact that they were challenging two seasons. Well, they were winning two seasons ago. They were challenging a year ago. And it feels like the absences of Mateusz Nunes and Joao Polina have really just hit hard in there. And, and they haven't been adequately replaced, I think, in number as opposed to in talent because Morita is a wonderful player in his own right, but needs right. this thing. So it looks like Chemiti's off to Everton. There's loads of question marks over what this squad looks like and whether some of these returning loanees can, can make a difference as well. Um, you know, the likes of Rafael Camacho, is he going to stick around? He's obviously been touted as a talent for some time since he was at Liverpool and still, yeah, one of those, Eduardo Quaresma coming back at centre-back yeah. from that spell at Hoffenheim. I think he probably has the best chance of, of stepping into this yeah. squad, but, you know, it just there are lots of question marks, I think. And, and I think that those question marks are added to by the fact that you look at this Braga team who finished above them yeah. last season and you look at their business and I think maybe it might be the best of the lot. Absolutely, yeah. So with regards to Braga, this has been, I think, in my opinion, the best transfer business in Portugal because, you know, they, they haven't let go of any significant players, I believe. Well, okay, they lost Yori Medeiros, I think, you know, that that's... He's definitely a a key player there, but far from irreplaceable, especially yeah. given the fact that they've signed they've signed Rodrigo Salazar from Schalke. They've uh, just completed a deal from, for for Rani Lopes, and they've uh, completed a permanent deal for Bruma, who really was was just one of my favorite players to watch during the during the um, final months of the season. You know, joined on loan. In January, ended up uh, carving out a starting spot for himself, and yeah, a player who ha we've been talking about for for a decade since he came through at Sporting. A lot of high expectations has bounced around Europe, hasn't really fulfilled them. But I think that Braga is an ideal landing spot for him, a place where he can just show off his talent. Um, so yeah, you've got some very good options there: Salazar, Bruma, Ricardo Horta, of course. Um, I think that they will be more than able to deal with Yori Medeiros' departure at center forward. Yeah, that, that'll be very interesting. Obviously, you've got Abel Ruiz and Simon Banza. Um, Ruiz, would ex I would expect him to start, but neither of them have really shown uh, that they can be a 20-goal scorer. You know, I think that there's an open competition for that center forward spot. Obviously, Banza um, scored, I think, 16 legals at at um, at Famalicão a few years back, and did did fairly uh, well in his debut campaign at Braga. But yeah, started off really well. Ended up losing his starting spot to Ruiz. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, in as far as midfield goes, yeah, I have to be honest. I'm very surprised that they've been able to keep hold of Al Musrati. You know, I think that. Uh, he's he's just such a such an incredible player, so skilled at using his body to to hold off opponents. Uh, so skilled at at breaking the lines with his passes. Just for me, just one of the best players, let alone midfielders in Portugal. And yeah, I, I'm very surprised that they've been able to keep hold of him so far. So yeah, I think that 
Uh, they've also brought in Vitor Carvajal from Gil Vicente, for, you know, who was very good uh, up-and-coming defensive midfielder in Barcelos last season. I think that's a really shrewd piece of business. And uh, they've it's, also it's brought cover in... if someone does come in for Al Mujati as well, right? Right, exactly. And I think that you know, there, there's also a good chance of the two playing together, um, especially against like a top opponent such as Benfica or Porto. Uh, I think that Carvajal is definitely a good profile. You know, very good at at winning back the ball and perhaps a more defensive-minded option than Al Mushrati, but we'll be interesting to see what happens there. Obviously, you've also got players such as Andre Orta there, who who I think will start for a lot of games, whereas Carvajal will probably be, you know, eased in. Um, they've also signed left-back Adrian Marin from Gil Vicente. Marin, um, yeah, he, he's a Spaniard who had a very good year at Famalicao, I think two years back. Then they didn't make it the deal permanent. He went to Gil Vicente. Wasn't too impressed with him there, I, I have to say. But um, I think the potential is there. But I, I do think that left back, that's probably a, a, a position where I'd be looking to upgrade in the final weeks. You know, they've also got um, Nuno Saqueda there as well as Christian Borja. I don't know what's going to happen with them. But yeah, I think that getting in a left back, maybe Leonardo Lello, from um, from Casapia or Mateus Quaresma from Arauca. There are a lot of interesting options there, but that's definitely a position I'd be looking to upgrade on. Um, as far as other business goes, they've they've kept hold of Mateus uh, Magalhães, one of the best goalkeepers in Portugal, and Nottingham Forest were trying to sign him, but yeah, holding out for uh, top dollar and would probably expect Forest to, to turn elsewhere at this point. But keeping hold of him is absolutely massive. They've also been able to um, bring in Victor Gomez and Siku Nyakate for, I think, around, what, 4 million euros combined. Two players who were starters in defense. And, uh, yeah, two two unpolished gems, I'd say. I think Nyakate had a very good year. There were still quite a few moments where he he showed his age, his, his lack of experience, but uh, still, you know, a very promising center back who arrived from Gingamp, very good at um, bringing the ball forward and physically skilled, and I think was very important in Braga's defense improving after the sale of David Carmo. And uh, they've also brought in Jose Fonte, uh, who, of course, you know, is a European champion, a Ligue 1 champion with Lille. Yep. And even at, what, 40 years of age, I think will still be a very good pickup for them. But good to have about the place, right? Good to have about the place. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, I could maybe see them bringing in another center back. I know that Vitor Tormena has been linked with a departure. Um, So yeah, perhaps giving themselves some uh, reinforcements in defense. I think that would be the, the biggest priority at left back and center back. But it's been a very good window for Braga. And I think that they definitely have what it takes to thrive under Arthur George. Um, and I think that, yeah, last season, it goes without saying that that was a historic year for Braga, you know, getting to the toss of the Portugal final, uh, finishing third. And yeah, it remains to be seen if they can uh, get past the qualifying rounds and, and get to the Champions League group stage for the first time in, what, 11 years. But they showed that, you know, they are capable of 
of giving these teams a run for their money, you know. Braga have actually shown that they they can be Benfica's bogeyman over the past uh, over the past few years. You know, they've been Benfica's kryptonite. So yeah, I, I think that look, Artur George has done a very good job this season. I think he's still uh, still trying to prove himself as a top manager, though. You know, can he step up? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You love to see it when a, a new club breaks the traditional hegemony. Um, right. With that, Zach, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. Um, but all that's left me to say thank you so much for joining me. Where can our fans find you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure to be back on Ranks. But yeah, you can find me on Zach Lowy on Twitter, Z-A-C-H-L-O-W-Y as well as uh, BreakingTheLines.com, the site that I manage. That's BTLVid on Twitter. Uh, we cover a wide range of topics. Um, got some uh, articles coming up on Bayer Leverkusen's transfer business, uh, Brendan Rodgers' make-or-break season at Celtic, as well as uh, one new Braga signing in Rodrigo Salazar. So definitely a lot of good stuff to keep an eye on. Um, but you can also find me on Bet Coza on Zach Lowy's European Football Show, my weekly podcast. Um, and I, I recently had Arauca's English center back Jerome Poku on the show. Um, so yeah, definitely check out that interview. A man of an incredible amounts of talent. Zach, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Zach. It's well hot out there, Rank Squad, and so there's no better time to stay hydrated. Whether that's kicking a ball around with your mates at Fiverr Side or bopping around your favourite festival, the golden rule is that hydration is key. Whether it's prepping beforehand, in the thick of the action, or recovering afterwards, you can stay hydrated with Liquid IV. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone, with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. I've started using this stuff on Monday nights down at Fiverr Side, and after all the big weekends have dotted my summer landscape, and I tell you, it's a joy. You don't keep your skin looking this good by accident. Arriving in convenient little sachets, it's quick and easy to use, and the acai berry flavour gives it that extra summer joy for me. But if that doesn't float your boat, there's 11 other flavours for you to try in your rotation, and if you're looking for the science, well... Liquid IV contains five different essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and that big old vitamin C hit to boot. On top of that, you're doing your bit for some good causes. Liquid IV believes that access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. And so they partner with leading organizations worldwide for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. You can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code RANKSFC at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code RANKSFC at liquidiv.com. Well, thank you so much to Zach for all his insights there on the Primeira. And with that, it's time for us to move from Portugal to the Netherlands. Next up, it's Michael Statham of Football Orange talking to me about all things Dutch football. Welcome back to Ranks FC and it's time that we head to the Netherlands. So I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by the wonderful Michael Statham from the ever brilliant Football Orange podcast and website. Michael, thank you so much for coming on Ranks FC. 
Happy pleasure. A lovely introduction. Thanks. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. And look, I think that there were some people surprised by what happened in the Eredivisie last season, the finals ascent to the top of the table and what it looks like this season. And I think, you know, obviously there are storylines all over every league. And I say this to everybody on this podcast today. I'm going to say the same introduction that the stories are never just highlighted at the top of the table but I think for all intents and purposes that's the main kind of focus of, of what we want to get into today the, the big three the RZ rise which I loved watching last season and they're running the conference league as well but for you you know obviously was the Feyenoord story a surprise or is it more a factor of lots of different things coming into place at the right time? I mean if you're going to win the Eredivisie you either need a lot of money which there doesn't seem to be a lot of in the Dutch league. All you need, a lot of things come together really well. Playing squads, coaches, and the people that oversee the club. That happened for a long time with Ajax for a number of years. But because of the sort of fallout of all of what they built up really nicely, final has taken advantage of it. And you're talking about a team that have now got what Ajax kind of had. They've got a bit more money. They've got Arne Slot as their manager, who's just as... I, in my opinion, just as high potential as Eric Ten Hag as a manager. Honestly, he's, he's turned down Spurs this summer and I think that he'll be making waves in the future um, in a big league. But also the playing squad. It's a team that has also stayed together this summer um, for the coming season. Only one major loss, and that was Orkin Kutchi. So they are looking really, really strong again. And there's another story, I think, coming from them. If they can do something in the Champions League, even if that's just winning one or two big games, really, it's not as if they're going to you know, go make the latter stages of it. But I think they'll have another good year. When you're talking about this final thing, and look, Ogan Kukju is the only big loss. Obviously, Danilo's left yeah. as well. He's gone to Rangers. And when you're kind of discussing all the, the different bits around it, I'm intrigued as your thoughts of, one, how you replace a, a player of Kirk Chu's calibre. And, and I think that we can talk about him in these league nows because he's gone to, you know, he's obviously been brilliant for years. He's been, he was captain at such a young age at Feyenoord. But generally, you know, he's gone in now to replace Enzo Fernandez, who's the Premier League's most expensive ever signing. Chelsea brought, obviously, from, from Benfica last time. He's gone in there to fill that gap. And I think, for one, he's more than capable of doing so. He's that kind of player and has had the technical ability and the kind of pressure on his shoulders to thrive at pretty much any level I think you threw him into. But one, how do you replace him? And two, with the signings they've made, what does it look like in terms of their attacking potential this year? Because obviously it looks like they're going to hold on to Jimenez. And the yeah. fact that Danilo has left now does make it feel like he is the basket in which they're putting their eggs. Yeah, they needed some work though, I think, in attacking positions. So. They've already made a step towards that at the time of recording now. They've signed Calvin Stengs, who had a great time with RZ Outmar, not a great time with France, admittedly. But they've added him, they've added um, Min I don't say he's actually, I've not said by commentator yet, but Minte, who's gone to, to Newcastle but has been loaned out to Feyenoord. Yeah. He seems quite a pacey option that they could have. Because actually, on the right wing and the left wing, whilst they had goals, assists, they can do better than what they had, the likes of Dilrosson. He's a good player, but not one of the top Eredivisie wingers, you could say. Hmm. So they're going to be adding, I know, another couple of players. It, it, there could be someone coming in from uh, Dinamo Zagreb. There could be someone coming from Belgium um, to add to that. And I think that will make them a step apart from the rest in the Eredivisie, if they can get the two actually attacking players in. In terms of replacing Kotchu, Ramazuki's come in. 
who was passed for S20 last season. The only thing that Zaruki's missing was goals to his game because he had most of the things. He's a um, a really strong midfielder and a lot of similarities to Ogun Kutchu, quite calm and pressure, good passer, you know, quite all action in the field, um, yeah. apart from the final third, I guess you could say. I think that they, I mean, they've signed Van der Belt as well from Pectuala, a young player. I think final to set. They've replaced Kotchu and added to their attacking line, which is like a way of offsetting that. When you use a quality player, you're not going to get someone as quite as good as them, but you can do it in other ways. Use the money in different areas and attack was the way to do it. Because their defence is, I mean, they have they have the best back four in the league um, per position, if you ask me. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you at all. Obviously, the, the window isn't over and, and things can change. And there was obviously interest in someone like David Hanko. But I was just really impressed with, with how they've gone about their replacement business generally, I think, over the last few years. Obviously, players come and go, but was key moments and key members of that squad that got to the Conference League final who departed and sort of were yeah. replaced without a whim, I think. And there didn't seem to be any any chinks in the armour. And I think that's maybe what Slot's best attribute has been, you know, visibly, I think, at this point. Yes, he's a brilliant tactical coach. I completely agree with you about his potential. But the fact that you lose big players and you can slot in replacements and this team structure doesn't change... I love watching this side and I'm going to continue love watching this year, I think. Yeah, me too, because of the additions that they'll have in the tap. They'll be even more exciting to watch. They'll be able to take on teams that are really dangerous in Europe and they beat, um, I know it's only friendly, but they did beat Benfica in a friendly just the other day and it, they look really good in that. Into Calc, a home stadium, there will always be a threat. There will always be a match for any, any team that's coming to visit. So lots of excitement for them. And yeah, they did replace a lot of players the summer before. And it, you knew that if they could come together, they could actually win the league. And they did. And I think you've got slot a lot to thank for that. They could put all of these new different players, about half the squad changed. And now they're retaining that. That makes them even more scary, I think, for opposition in, in Eredivisie. They've kept together this team that slots moulded, but he can take them even further now. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's move on and, and talk about their challenges because I think by the sounds of it, we both agree that it's their title again to lose at this point. Yeah. Ajax have moved on from Johnny Heitinger. They've brought in Morris Stein and they've brought in a couple of, of interesting players. I'm really intrigued to see how Tahirovic does yeah. uh, in, in this midfield. And I think that Branko van der Boomen is, is a brilliant, brilliant signing. Uh, I've loved watching him through the leagues for Toulouse, that season where Toulouse one league there, and then last year moving up seamlessly into the top flight. I thought it was wonderful. But they've also lost a number of key players. I mean, Urien Timber has gone to Arsenal. Gavin Bassi didn't feature very much. He's joined Fulham. But there are a couple here, you know, Dusan Tadic is the one that you go, okay, that's the end of an era. Sure, he's 34. Sure, there is probably a little bit less in his game than there was three years ago when we were watching him in, in that peak. But it just feels like there's a little bit of a loss of some of the old guard, Stecklenburg as well. This is a big job, this Ajax job right now. Yes. Morris Stein is a very capable manager. I think that he's proven himself lower down the Eredivisie. So this is the opportunity that he deserves. However, the rebuilding job he's got, I think whilst he's been privileged to take on this position, he's got quite the task to prove himself that he's for this level. The players that have come in, you know, Tehirovic, I I don't know how many games he's going to start at the moment. Van der Bowman is uh, 
he's the quality addition, isn't he? But there are more to come. And I know that in the next couple of weeks, there's going to be around about three players out at least. Um, but yes, the quality that's gone, I mean, Dusan Tadic, he left. Um, and I can almost quote him as, as what he said almost. He said he wants to leave because he wasn't, he wasn't struck on the quality of the players that are around him now. And he, this isn't the reason he joined Ajax. The re- so he was there for, with like a, call like a lifetime contract because he was there for years as a player and was going to stay as a, as a coach afterwards. And he's already said, I will be back at Ajax, but right now my playing career, I'm not going to be staying because that's it. There's the player dissatisfaction is, is massive at the minute. Steven Burkhouse, the same. He's not happy. Um, the goalkeeper really, uh, he joined in January and has said since, well, will there be more players signing because I didn't come here to play with the players that you've currently got. I wanted to play with this, this player, this player, this player. I mean, Burkhouse himself listed all the players that used to play for Ajax, you know, um, De Gong and Ziyech and all that. And he said, this is the reason why I joined, not for now. So it's, yeah, the players are happy. Stein is frustrated with chance of market. The director, Mittelentap, he is trying to pull some strings, but he's got a big job to do. It's like the fallout of what has been going so well for in the past for Ajax. You could be talking about Hakim yet coming back, by the way. There's strong rumours this could happen, but it's all a bit unknown. And even if they do sign a couple of quality players, they've got a long way to bridge the gap to Feyenoord now because they've lost, like you said, Tadic, Timber, two quite prolific players. I don't know if they're quite going to get the same quality. They've got no sort of senior centre-backs, you could say, at the moment. They've got Gerald Hart, who's a 17-year-old, who could be their strongest defender at the moment. Um, they've got a couple of signings that flopped in the past couple of years as well that are still around. I don't see how they're going to suddenly refine that quality they had. Yeah, tough times there at Ajax. And I think finishing top three at the moment would be decent because I think that RZ and Twente, who always bring down the next for top three, RZ, I think I've got a better playing squad than Ajax at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's also the bits and bobs going on behind the scenes. Now, obviously, Edwin van der Sar suffered a horrible injury and we wish him all the best. And it looks like he is, thankfully, on the road to recovery. But aside from that, it just did feel for a while that everything has just been a little bit all over the place with Ajax behind the scenes. And there's been infighting and you know, sort of civil war almost in the board. And, and that's never a nice place to be for anyone, you know, director of football-wise, but then the players underneath that as well, because it doesn't feel like, you know, if you're coming or going. Yeah, and um, I mean, it all started a little while ago when players did start to leave and you're thinking, well, they're replacing with this, replacing with this. And last summer, there was a poor appointment of new managers after Ten Hag. A poor, poor mismanagement for me. Um, Klaus Nihuntelaar, I mean, he, he was meant to be helping pull the strings and things as well, and he's done very little, um, in my opinion. So... There, there are clubs that are going to have a transition season without them wanting to have a transition season. They don't want to be in this position. They know that, of course, the Eredivisie, it's the sixth best league in Europe now. I know the podcast is going to be covering some other leagues as well. Um, but the Eredivisie could be in the top five leagues in Europe soon by the end of the season. You know, it could be back to the Leapfrog League. And Ajax know that second place can give them a Champions League spot. Um, they, they should be gunning at least for second. And they're some quality additions could get them there. But I suppose if they spend the money and they don't hit that, they don't get first or second this season, could be quite ugly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. definitely. I mean, look, it feels like both of Ajax and PSV 
have sort of rung the changes in order to try and mm. immediately bridge the gap that was built last season. And that's always a risky move. But there's been all change at PSV as well, which is an interesting one in terms of just how it looks. And and obviously, Van Nistelrooy announced that he was leaving at the end of the season. Petr Bosch has come in. He's a funny manager. I love watching his teams play to an extent, but I imagine it would be an incredibly frustrating experience to be a fan of a team under Petr Bosch at the same time. So it's a bit of a, a gamble on this as well. And PSV have lost their own set of key players. Obviously, Xavi Simons was, was recalled by, by PSG and they had that clause to buy him back for such a, a small amount, which is uncomfortable at the best of times. But yes. also, Eric Gutierrez headed back to, to Mexico. Philip Max has gone. Timo Baumgartel's mm. gone. Jared Branthwaite's loan has ended. Fabio Silva's loan has ended. Torgan Hazard didn't set the place on fire, admittedly, but his loan has ended. And it feels like there's a lot going on here in terms of exits. I think that PSV have actually bought really well in their in their two signings. I really like the fact that they've brought Noah Lang back to the Netherlands. And also Ricardo Pepe, I think after his, his show at Grant again last year, felt like a, a natural player to bring in for one of the big three. So I think they're both good signings, but I am still wary of how light this squad looks. Yes, I do agree with you. I, I imagine a couple of other players have come in, but the main starting 11 set now. It's funny you say about the players that left. I'm more optimistic about PSV and I do think that they will be the best challengers for Feyenoord. Petr Bosch had a great time in the Eredivisie. I'm kind of blinded by that because I've watched him a lot in this league and with his work with Vitesse, his work with Ajax, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that he could do something again here with PSV. But yes, it will be a stylistic change. Um, the players said that they've never worked harder in a pre-season. Um, it, yeah, I think Peter Bosch is going to put him to work. I really liked his interview that he gave as well, actually. thought he was a really nice man, a really interesting person, um, very calm personality. So, you know, it, I, I, I think he's, he's going to do something. But the players you said that left, not a lot of them, have, apart from Chari Simons, obviously, were top quality. I don't think that they're going to be missed, PSV. I think that Noah Long uh, will add some goals. Um, Pepe, I've really liked him in pre-season. I think him and Luke Young could offer goals. I think they could both play potentially. Um, and Joey Veerman is another year older. He's coming into his prime. You've got um, Olivia Bescagli coming back from injury, the centre back. He's going to be like a new signing because when he went, you know, that was a massive loss at the time about a year ago, and he's not really come back to full fitness until now. I think he could be a good addition um, to a defence that is otherwise fairly mediocre, but I think that he will help. You know, this PSV team, it just needs a lot of goals in it because Bosch can get teams scoring um, and it's up to know how Noah Lang does because his international future depends on this. I think he wants this move because he wants to show that he can be a starting player for the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the other thing is the emergence of Johan Bakayoko, who's I think course, on his day, yeah. one of the most exciting players to watch in in maybe world football, let alone European football. But his emergence last season after Hakpo and Madweka obviously left in January was something to behold. And it, it's really exciting yeah. and it must be a really exciting time for him. Yeah, because he came he when he was coming through and because when he was trying to replace what they had lost, didn't it didn't strike me at first as someone that had the quality to, to do that a bit one-dimensional, but actually he has really come on, especially since Madueke left in, in January, um, that second half of the season. I, I've, 
I think he's one of their key players now. He's their starting right winger, and El Garza is going to be the backup to him. So yeah, good on him. And he's one of those players that's proving in the Eredivisie that it's a great development league, and he's made the most of it. I think another year with PSV, and he goes on somewhere else. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It does feel like that's the way, isn't it? He's like, show your worth and yeah. someone's going to come in with a £30 million offer that's very, very difficult to <laughs> refuse. Um, but that is the nature of the beast at the moment. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on on RZ and also Twente because RZ were a joy to behold, I thought, last year in, in the Conference League yeah. and watching them in, in full flight. Now, whether they will have the same squad or not this season is is a big question mark. Um, and, and I think that there are going to be plenty of eyes on plenty of players in this RZ team because they were so good and there were so many, you know, stars of the, of the side that were, were able to to show themselves. But they've also picked up some interesting players as well. And and there's a lot to like about the way that this side continues to churn through and and, and not lose pace on, on the three above them. As always, but they are the epitome of the Odomazee in that they lose their key players for a lot of money. And then replace them with really young players. And you're thinking, come on, just spend some more. Spend some more of those riches you've just got in. But they never do because they always put it into their youth, their youth team, the youth academy. And that's where it all goes. And that's why it's one of the best in the Netherlands up there with Ajax. I think if these young players fit in, they could they could challenge that top three. They could challenge Ajax. You look the weakest of, of those three at the moment. But it's all a bit unknown. And it's going to be intriguing to see how they settle in, how quickly they, they grow. They've still got Jesper Carlsen and Pavlidis, two of the front three from last for season. Now. For now, I don't know how much longer, but Pavlidis has been very quiet. I think some yeah. of them have got to stay because they they are happy at the level they're at with RZ. Um, but Reinders was always someone after the season he had was going to go. Kirkes was a young phenomenon. But they are gonna they're gonna bring bring small players through again. Um Penetra, the centre back. Um, coming from Portugal I think he will be an astute addition I'm really pleased that Arsenal have gone for someone like him um, there yeah. are some other young players besides but do you know what uh, after that Conference League season last season I, I think they, they were unlucky well not unlucky no they were unlucky because they had a couple of injuries and suspensions when they played West Ham away and it made me think you know had they got a good, really good result there to bring it back to Altmar they would have been more confident and won that game and gone through to the final themselves so they didn't do themselves justice that night. And they are, they are a strong team. Um, I look forward to seeing what they do this season. You asked about Twenta. Because they've lost a couple of players again themselves, like welcome to your everyone loses players, <laughs> big players. And you're always wondering, scratching your head going, well, how are they going to do this again? How are they going to finish here? Does that make the league weaker? Not necessarily. Um, they've, they've spent a bit of money too, Twenta. They've brought a couple of players in permanence. Um, but they have lost a couple of their good attacking players. I think with Twente, though, they've got a new manager. who's worth mentioning here. I'm starting to get into the realms of, if you're really interested in the area you should really come and check out what we do at the board, Anya. And you should come and check out our big, long podcast. Let's talk about this guy some more. Um, Joseph Osting's their manager, and he's come from mid-table club. And I think he's going to be another one who steps up with Twente and could be a really, really good manager. Great people person. Yeah, I think you'll get the best out of Twente. I hope they do something in Europe and um, could could challenge top three. It's just unknown. It's so hard to predict that if will RZ or Twente break this top three. Um, I think if you put against my head, I'd say no. I think they'd be fourth and fifth again. But they have got some really good young players, and I think it's worth just keeping an eye on RZ and Twente in particular. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm having the same conversation. I said it to Zach about Portugal earlier that it just feels like Braga are knocking on the door of the big three in Portugal. Yeah. And I feel exactly the same with these two when I'm when I'm talking about the Eredivisie. But they're a player for each that I'm really intrigued by. And Nasi Univar at Taventa obviously was at Ajax. Yes was a bit of a phenomenon in the youth leagues. And I remember watching him in, in in the UIL. And he also played, if I'm not mistaken, the greatest pass of all time in a preseason friendly about three years ago, <laughs> where he knocks it with the outside of his foot and the ball actually curves into the stri- path of the striker. The striker actually misses. And I remember being like, that is one of those ones where you're like, it's absolutely furious. It's, it would have gone down as the greatest assist of all time uh, and le- until until it was actually spurned. But I'm really excited to see him actually get a, a shot at, at trying to break the Eredivisie because it just felt like he wasn't getting that uh, at Ajax. Uh, and I think when you go back to RZ, the player that they've brought in, obviously, to, re- to replace Rangers looks like Thiago Dantas, who was brilliant for Portugal, I thought, and, and probably Portugal's best player in the under-21 Euros this summer. He went on loan last summer from Benfica to Bayern Munich, didn't make enough of an impression for them to sign him permanently, has now gone on loan to RZ. I'm really convinced that there's a player in there, that he is someone that has captained this Portugal under-21 side, who is comfortable on the ball, who is one of those players who's happy to step up and take responsibility. And he took the penalty that fired Portugal out of the group stages and into the knockout rounds. Now, Portugal didn't shine. They weren't brilliant at those Euros. But I thought that Dantas taking responsibility and stepping up in crucial moments was a big thing. He's a bit of a hothead, but I do quite like him getting this opportunity to come in here and, and, and really do make a mark in central midfield. And it's good scouting from RZ, because that, that would have been them searching more widely than what they might usually look at. You know, they're always looking within the Netherlands or um, Scandinavia, but they've put their net a bit wider here to get a couple of good Portuguese players. And I, they're, yeah, they're going to be quality, aren't they? They're going to add a lot to the team. They're going to get straight into that first 11, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you so much for hopping on Ranks FC today. Do you want to tell the listeners where they can find you and that deeper dive season preview for the Eredivisie? So I'm Michael Statham and I write for Football Aranya, which is Dutch football in English language. Um, football and then orange, but replace a G with a day. Um, we do loads of Eredivisie stuff, Dutch Dutch national team stuff as well. Um, loads of podcasts, uh, match reports, interviews with players. We are, are going to do um, a massive hour and a half sort of full length deep dive into every single team in the Eredivisie. Uh, we'll talk about all the players that have kind of come in, managers, and just the stories low down the league as well. So yeah, come and find us and, and check it out. Absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure chatting Eredivisie with you and we'll see you very shortly. Thank you. Well, there we have it. The big headlines in Portugal and the Netherlands ahead of this season. Thank you so much to both Zach and Michael for joining me today here on Ranks FC. We are going to be back next week with previews on Ligue 1, the Premier League and the Bundesliga and the week after with Serie A to round off our preview series ahead of the new season. But for now, all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much for listening here on Ranks FC. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC, your favourite football podcast talking all things Dutch and Portuguese football. And we'll see you next week. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. 
Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.